Hello and a big welcome back to Expected Goals. Fantastic result for the Albion at the weekend. Much needed three points on the road, of course, like we're ever going to win a home game again. Liam, how big a victory was that? Really, really fantastic to see. And a great finish for the for the second goal as well. Just just all round, really good news for us. Oh yeah, an absolutely huge win. Um, I think a lot of the fan base are delighted to, to see us win, but simultaneously lose an XG. Um, which is, you know, feels feels rather refreshing to be sort of on the reverse end of that, I guess. Um, and yeah, as you said, in terms of how good the finishing was, um, our our best game of the season uh, to date in terms of our shot accuracy, three quarters of shots, that's six out of eight were on target, um, in a, a very good XG over performance uh, of 1.1, according to Statsbombs data, um, which is our, our second best of the season after, I believe, uh, the win at Newcastle, which obviously feels like many, many moons ago now. Um, and of course, a side that we'll be, be facing very, very soon. So, um, obviously, having not held on uh, against Leicester and the the, the triple um, sort of the the three consecutive losses that we had, um, I think it, everyone felt a um, a big sigh of relief in terms of a big big win, um, especially in the context of you know Burnley winning, um, other teams picking up results, and once again you know flirting with relegation um, in a in a situation which is definitely a bit too close. Bit too close for comfort, um, and a, a bit of breathing space that can hopefully sort of be built on now. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, whilst uh, whilst we're on the topic of the Newcastle game coming up, I think it's important to mention hmm. ahead of ahead of uh, the podcast today that we are going to be taking part in a charity live stream uh, with Together BJ uh, and a whole load of fantastic guests. Bruno's going to be there, Paul Barber. Um, so this is going uh, from twelve till twelve on the day of the Newcastle game, the twentieth of March. Um, it would be absolutely fantastic if you uh, could join us. Uh, please do donate. It's for Albion in the community. It's an absolutely fantastic cause. It's going to be some brilliant discussions, um, you know, all Albion-focused uh, platforms mm. coming together for, for a really fantastic cause. Uh, so, so please do join us for that. And more information will be up uh, on, on the Twitter page uh, in the week about that. And on the, on the subject of our um, unusual ruthless streak for, for, for the most recent game, We've got lots of questions. Um, I think uh, everyone's everyone's kind of come together in a more positive in a more positive light after after a positive result, and I think we'll just dive straight into that. So we've got a question here from the Twitter page about how we can become a more ruthless, nastier team. So you know that comes hand in hand the finishing aspect, the uh, the the, the, man, the game management side of things. We uh, we held on to a lead as as you said in this instance uh, weren't able to do so the week prior against Leicester. Liam, what what are your thoughts about be, being that you know keeping that ruthless streak going? Is you know is that a mindset thing? Adam Lana, of course, a fantastic uh, bit of experience for us, and and was instrumental in the win at the weekend. You know what what are the kind of things that we need to uh, you know keep interwoven in our game to 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 make sure that we don't make any silly mistakes. I think, like with anything, it would be in terms of football and analysing a team's performance, um, especially sort of as we now talk about game state stuff and, and you know, how you manage a situation, that it would be wrong to suggest it's going to come down to one factor when the reality is it's going to be an integration of factors, um, for, you know, for how a team is going to set up in terms of um, bits even down to, you know, your, your goal kicks, which people might overlook, but um, with Rob Sanchez and goal Bryce, have been kicking the ball direct a lot more. Um, and you know, fundamentally, that Initial setup means that you're clearly just desiring to gain yards. I mean that when the, the opposition do get the ball, theoretically, if they win it, and then they have more yards to, um, you know, to have to try and make up first of all. But also, you you know, you can try and play for flick on so you condense the pitch. Your line is then higher up, 
Um, whereas if you're obviously playing short, it's clearly more of an intention to draw the press and try and play through a team. Um, so, you know, a, a whole host of factors really going to play into it. Um, the, the team selection as well is a, a big part of it, obviously. Um, I, I did notice really in the, in the first half that Burn did seem to be, be hobbling a little bit. Um, it was after he set up really, really well. And when it's sort of marauding run to, to set up Gross for, you know, a, a chance that could have could have had us uh, had us winning at half the time. Um, obviously, fortunately, it didn't matter in the end. Um, and, a, you know, unfortunate, well, not unfortunate, sorry, but, but quite disappointed to see a, a large collection of um, the Brighton fan base, um, you know, satisfied with that. And, you know, of course, I think I should be for everyone in saying that I thought Ani Zakiri was, was really, really strong. Um, it's quite promising going forward. I think he grew into the great game quite well. Starts off sort of playing a few passes backwards, but then did seem to sort of grow and have the confidence to, to you know, try and drive at the centre-back line, fight in sort of quite a, quite a tasty cross at one point um, that sort of just went shy of the, of the back post. Um, and in terms of sort of our, our defensive settled shape at the end, I know they picked it up on, on match of the day too, um, but very compact. Um, the, the press seemed quite well targeted that, you know, when a, when a sideways pass did occur or it was slightly backwards that we then pressed up onto that. And I think it's the real sort of fine details of putting 10 players behind the ball plus your goalkeeper doesn't just have to mean that you're being passive. You can do that. And I think we really restricted them to anything in the box that was quality at all. Um, of course, with the exception of the goal, which we'll come on to at some point, um, I, I thought it was a really impressive performance to not only be prepared to concede the ball, but not really concede many quality chances in doing so. Um, the ruthless aspect is sort of quite hard to you know pin down exactly what that might be or what it might look like. Um, one interesting thing that I did pick out in sort of the, the pre-match preview was the, the importance of winning aerial duels. And winning battles is probably a very cliched thing in, in sort of very Sunday league of, you know, win your battles, you, you 1v1s. But... Um, there is at least a correlation whether we want to just as causation is, is perhaps an argument for another day um, but we've just lost one game when we've won over 50% of our aerial duels this season in the Premier League we've taken 17 points from the 10 that we have won over 50% there's two games where it's been bang level so I've sort of excluded them um, and in the 16 games where we've won or sorry we've lost the majority opponents have won the majority we've taken 12 points from 16 games so 1.7 points per game when winning the majority of aerial duels, 0.74 when losing. I'm, of course, not here to suggest that winning aerials is going to guarantee your results. Um, but, you know, as we saw for the Saints equaliser, um, which came about um, from Joel Veltman, it was, I believe, losing sort of the, the aerial duel with Ryan Bertrand and likewise Lewis Dunk winning um, winning the aerial duel in, in the Saints box that um, they can have sort of real sort of profound effects on creating good chances and, and affecting the scoreline. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting things to be said about about the way to manage games and the, and, and the way to, to grind out results, if you will. One of the things that I picked up on uh, during the game uh, on Sunday was um, the referee's reluctance to to book anyone. In fact, there was no yellow cards in the whole game. There was uh, uh, 21 fouls in total, uh, 11 for Southampton and 10 for us. And for most of the game, having seen that he wasn't keen to book anyone for for breakaways, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really, you know, dishing out anything serious in terms of punishments for um, for fouling on the break, I was encouraging the team quite quite strongly to 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 foul. Um, ideally, in their half, you don't want to be giving away free kicks in Ward Prowse territory. But if you if you hmm. tax at source, and a referee will not suitably um, you know reprimand or punish you for that, you, it's important to remember that you're not just playing an opposition; you're playing a referee, hmm. and that means that if you're reading the referee the way that he's refereeing a game. Um, if um, if he or she's not giving a lot of yellow cards, then by all means, you need to take advantage of that and, and stopping attacks before they can even get close to dangerous is a really useful tool. Um, as Going on to the aerial duels that you talked about, one of the stats earlier in the season, I'm not sure how 
true this remains, uh, probably would have levelled out a little bit because Burns, uh, just out of out of force, has had to has had to play through Solly March's injury. But uh, Burn boasted one of the best win success rates uh, for when he was playing earlier in the season. So he, when he was on the pitch, we had a very high win success rate compared mm. to any other players in our squad. And his height um, over on that left hand side has been really really useful. I know the commentators love to mention it just uh, just as a point of. Uh, Sort of like some bizarre freak show that's been been peddled out <laughs> for, uh, for for their entertainment, but actually the utility in 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 his height and his aerial prowess is fantastic. Um, as you said, winning aerial duels that seems to correlate in some small way to um, to to winning games, and I think that there's a number of factors. It could be the fact that when you're you know hanging on towards the end, there's more direct balls likely to be going into the box, which have a quite a low percentage chance of of working out. You win those headers. Your percentage goes up, um, and I think that kind of maybe the same bracket for for possession I think can be said. Andy Naylor's written some fantastic pieces in the Athletic over the last week or so about how Brighton seem to do better when we have less possession. I think you know there's, there is definitely some truth in that in terms of having more space in behind to exploit uh, teams that are more proactive. I think we we tend to do better against because there's more space. Uh, in behind and and it's easier to attack disorganised defences compared to we struggle a little bit with breaking down quite resilient uh, low block teams. But also the element of that is that the games that we've won, inevitably we've had to hold on to a lead at some point, whether that's for the last five minutes or whether it's for the last, you know, hour. Um, And that means that we're inevitably going to have less possession and that will distort the stats a little bit too. Mm. Um, But in the case of Burn uh, against Southampton, four aerial duels uh, in that game, and notably, all in the opposition's half, um, mm. f- uh, five, uh, four out of five successful. And all over high on that left-hand space, Danny Murphy was uh, mentioning quite a lot about, uh, surprised, I think, about how high Dan, Dan was playing. Um, and that out ball used to good effect against Liverpool, a uh, big win at Anfield, of course. Uh, and I think Potter tried to suggested that Zakiri, uh, part of the reasoning for that substitution was to, to kind of give a similar balance on that left-hand mm. Um, in any case, um, a really, really good win for us and a, an important victory uh, at such a critical stage of the season. Another question here uh, from Twitter about two strikers, two natural strikers. Mm. Uh, is that the way forward, especially when playing five at the back? Um, linked up to really good effect. Welbeck and Morpé played really, really well against Southampton. A um, couple of things that we mentioned prior to prior to recording. Um, Morpé was in a really good position to potentially tap home had forced to manage to get down to Lewis Dunk's header and he did really well to drop it into a vacated space uh, for the second goal, drawing Bednarek out, mm. leaving space in behind for Trossard to, to go and score. Um, Welbeck and Morpé have developed a decent partnership over a few games this season. Aston Villa away, linked up very, very nicely. Obviously, Welbeck scoring um, the opening goal in that fixture and uh, although we didn't manage to score, uh, they looked very promising at home to Burnley. Uh, so, Liam, mm. what are your thoughts about two natural strikers, uh, you know, is, is, is the answer there more pay and Welbeck basically have a good rapport and that, and that's something that we can use to our benefit. Um, you know, what, what do you think about, you know, the pros and cons of, of playing um, two strikers or potentially having more, you know, maybe Adam Lallana pushing up as he did against uh, Leicester or say Leandro Trossard playing mm-hmm. further upfield? I'm going to give sort of my most hated answer, which is obviously it depends. Um, there's there's a whole no, host no, of factors. Right. I'll, I'll explain. I'll, I'll bail myself out here. It's okay. Um, 
Of course, for an instance, when you're playing a team like Southampton, who are renowned for their pressing intensity, but also for the rate at which you know possession turns over in their games, um, you know they they can be sort of a really, really fast attacking side, um, but not always the most balanced and the most structured. But that's how Ralph Hasselhoff wants to play, which is fine. Um, I think two strikers made perfect sense for that sort of thing, um, especially and sort of currently in the works is, is a piece looking at um, who Brighton might choose to play up top, which can hopefully sort of um, dive into this in a bit more uh, in a bit more depth. But um, the, the biggest part that Potter always speaks about, Charlie, and I think that we've we've really sort of pushed this idea as much as we can is the importance of balance. And, and Neil Mapai, as you mentioned, is someone who loves to and is really good at dropping in, receiving the ball. Um, and, and linking play, if you like, between those sort of midfield or defensive units and, and the further four players. Um, so if you're going to play someone like Neil Pye, then you want someone who's going to complement his style of play, hopefully. And Danny Welbeck certainly um, aligns that play. He's competent to run in behind, uh, but, you know, on, on more than one occasion, including for the goal, showed a good ability to combine. Um, you know, the the opening goal that we did score in Pats, you know, the corner was won from, you know, uh, Welbeck flicking the ball into Mapai. And then, of course, the winner for Leandro Trossard in similar fashion. And he's done that, I remember. Um, I think it was the Burnley game, as you mentioned, Charlie, where he pulled one back for Tarek Lamptey inside the first minute. Um, Lamptey, unfortunately, put it over the bar. But um, certainly Welbeck's, you know, creativity side, I think. Um, I like Mapai as well. Both players who are, you know, very, very capable of being creative, both pressing a lot. Neil Mapai put in his best pressing performance of the season, 33 pressures, um, which is, you know, sort of a real, real big output. And, Credit to him for the amount of football that he's played and, you know, the, the fast turnover matches and just repeatedly pressing is, um, obviously, it's within most players' physical capabilities, but also just to have the mentality to do that, especially at a time where um, he's come under criticism, understandably, for not always having the, the hottest streak in front of goal. So, um, I, I think a big part to consider is the extras that these players offer in terms of their link play, um, their off-the-ball work, their pressing work. Um, so, yeah, two, two up top could quite feasibly work but then you also have to consider the players you're putting um, behind them of the, if you've got two strikers on the pitch okay are you going to be able to create and I know this is going to you know go into a big sort of Twitter debate that, that we've seen over the past few weeks but are you able to create the right type of chances for them and I think hopefully what we've really seen over the, these past couple of games is that we are actually capable of creating what we'd call clear shots at goal so Trossard's winner Lalana's opener against Leicester um, clear shots at goal you know, the, the distance wasn't the closest in. I think both were sort of further out in the penalty spot, but it was just them in front of the goalkeeper. And suddenly your your finishing chances become a hell of a lot higher uh, because one, you've got actually a clear-sighted goal, which statistically gives you a much better chance of scoring. Obviously, you've got the whole goal to aim at. And then, of course, with no defenders in the way, there's nothing that can be blocked. Um, and I think the, the element of pressure, at least to me psychologically, maybe means players aren't as likely to rush their shots. They might have a chance to look up at the keeper to really pick a spot. Um, and I think, you know, Trossard and Lallana in recent weeks have done that really, really well. Um, so w- would I support two strikers up top? I think it would very much depend who we're playing. If, if we're looking forward to the Newcastle game, um, I think we'd be really silly not to in terms of how much possession we're expecting to have. Um, and beyond that, sort of their their aerial capabilities. And I think, I'm not sure if they still are, but they were playing five at the back earlier on this season. Um, and, it, you know, you're going to set someone like Mapart for a real tough job if he's sort of 1v2 or 1v3. Um and beyond that one, as you mentioned, Charlie, in terms of, you know, um, Jan Bernard being sort of pulled about um, the pitch quite a bit. If you go for two or three players that you can sort of um, play on on the defence or on the very back line, that you're going to pin these players. That What Brighton done really well this season um, against teams is the likes of Lewis Duncan and Webster, that when someone drops in, that they go with them as part of the press and they try to stop them playing on the turn or being spun, etc., um, and if you put someone like Danny Welbeck, Andy Zakiri, whoever you want, and they just stand on that back line or they're making runs in behind, 
you just stop these players from, from you know, advancing forward. And if you've then got people like Adam Lallana, Leandro Trossard, like we saw um, uh, against Southampton, who can receive you know, in, those, in those locations that are just outside the box where they can make things happen, they can play those passes in behind, they can look wide, they can shoot. Um, you know, that, that's the important part is, and that's how we're going to score goals fundamentally, because we're going to get the players who are good, you know, into locations where they can be really, really good. Um, and, and that's the most fundamental part. And, you know, I think two strikers will be a big part of that going forward. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Potter understandably mix it up and look to really sort of exploit teams um, in sort of very specific areas. So Welbeck definitely um, can complement Mapai. And I think it's from, from Potter's sort of pre and post-match presses that, that I watched that, um, he clearly places a lot of value in Welbeck and um, is sort of, I think, really enjoying having him fully fit. Um, obviously, a bit more penalty practice might be needed. But um, yeah, mm. but besides that, really, really impressed. And I think it's sort of a final point on Trossard that people, you know, often categorise him as maybe a, a winger or an advanced midfielder. But I, I would put him in the in the same bracket as the likes of Mapai and Welbeck in, you know, being a forward that he's one of, if not probably the best ball strikers at the club with, with both feet. Um, and he showed, you know, in, in games against Spurs, um, and in the scoring the goal against Southampton, that he can strike a ball really well. So, you know, if you're not going to get Mopaya Warbuck on the end of a cross or, or a slide through ball in, in behind the defence, then you want someone like Trossard on it, without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. A worthy mention for Mopai there in the um, in the Southampton game. 33 pressures, just crazy output, mm. really, really good. I mean, for a, for a while, it's. I mean, there was a moment in the game, I think he... He almost he basically collapsed mid dribble because he was just so tired mm. towards the end. Mm. He was trying to knock the ball down, down the line, and he was just he just fell because he, he put so much into the game. And and I understand people's suggestion that that, that those those extras, I guess, are, are not of interest to them, and, and the and the raw output of goals and assists is more important. But for me, you you need you need to look just a week ago um, at the Leicester game that the press. Uh, to to win the ball back high and and to put the Lana in, you know that essentially that pressure is is a goal involvement. That is uh, mm. every every game that you don't score. Uh, you know if you do that once a game, you know you're creating a goal every game. It's not necessarily about about scoring a goal. It's a goal creation is exactly the same thing. Mm. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter who scores it. And, and ultimately, the way I would put it is that people might suggest that if he's not scoring any goals, it's not. You know, it's 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 not good enough, it or or it's a it's a player that we can improve on and maybe need to move on, whatever it may be. But you know, one one of those a game would be a ridiculous output. That is essentially equivalent to a goal a game. You're creating a goal a game. It doesn't matter if you're if you win the ball back and it falls to someone else to score. Um, on on that kind of subject about you know people's perceptions of of players, uh, we mentioned a little bit Dan Byrne and uh, the the benefit of his aerial, aerial prowess in that game and others. Um, created a huge chance for Pascal Gross uh, late in late in the first mm. half. What see my issue here is that extremely effective, really really well worked from from Burner, a well weighted pass, and and frankly Gross Gross should score. And and without getting back in back into the debate that we've had uh, <laughs> with people over the right kind of chances for me. I don't see a better, you know, you don't generally see better chances than, than that for 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 the likes of Gross. I, I think that those those no, most of the time need to need to be going in uh, if you, if you want to have a chance of getting a decent result. Thankfully, it wasn't mm. it wasn't here on this occasion uh, because we made a similar chance later mm. uh, and Trossard managed to put it away. So that that that's good. That's good for us. But um, yeah, Burn, uh, you know, we we will miss him if he if it, hopefully it's not a long term thing. Uh, I think you know he 
can provide a lot for us. Um, his personality on the pitch, I think people, that's one of the things that people hate quite a lot. Um, and mm. it's one of the things that Potter loves. One of the words he likes to use is personality on the pitch and people can't really measure personality in, in, in an effective way. But, for you know, the willingness for him to, to, to move forward, the, the ingenuity and, and the, the willingness to, to, run, to run forward, to run back, to give everything. And that's one of the things that I, you know, maybe putting the, the stats aside for, for a moment, you know, if, if you'll allow me. I, it's one of the things as a fan you sort of watch. And it's one of the things you rate so, so highly. And, and I, I, will all, I will always have time for players that, that, will, that will give everything and, and run their socks off. And, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect in terms of it's all very, you know, same with more players that I just mentioned. It's all very well running lots, but they, if they're not good enough, they're not good enough. And I think you can't necessarily separate those two things. Running a lot is going to have an effect on the game. Mm. How effective you use, you know, your running is a different, it's a different matter. I think Welbeck is slightly more picks his moments, let's say, uh, whether that's a fitness thing or a, or a, an experience thing. Uh, I think you know it remains to be seen, but um, but yeah, I, I, for me, Burn has been a really really important player for us over the last two years. I, I have absolutely no issue with him, with him playing whatsoever, and I think it was something I just wanted to. Um, to mention more broadly, because you know, I want I want our fans to be proud of our players, and I think mm. he's the player that leaves it all out on the pitch. And and for every frustration that which there will be with every player, mm. I'm generally proud of him when he when he plays and, and he gives a lot. And he's obviously determined to win. Um, speaking of being proud of players, I think it's probably time that we mention uh, the big news of today, which is um, Robert Sanchez call up to the Spain squad, which is an absolutely fantastic achievement. For him, so um, massive shout out to to Robert Sanchez and to, frankly, Brighton's um, to Ben Roberts, the goalkeeping coaching uh, Graham Potter for giving him uh, his debut and his chance. Mm. Obviously, you know those are all big factors. I don't know if they can claim as much credit as me because I did sell him a Christmas tree. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you, not everyone can know him as well as I do. <laughs> you know, that's all fine. But uh, Liam, you know, a word a word on Sanchez. Um, in, in against Southampton in general, mm. been absolutely fantastic, and, and I'm delighted for him. No, a, a fantastic bloke, clearly, as your your rapport with him shows. Um, I'd argue I've probably got a similar level of friendship as I, I own a pair of his, his gloves. Um, but uh, a quality keeper, and um, I'm just going to throw some statistics at, at the listeners. Which um, I'll, I'll caveat this with saying that I'm I'm not one that you know feels a desire to have a, a goalkeeper that might come and claim corners. Um, but as we sort of mentioned, Charlie, in, in the set pieces article that we co-authored was that we needed to find a way to stop conceding goals from set pieces. And a very good way to do that is to stop shots occurring by having a keeper that is good at coming out and catching the ball um, or dealing with it um, in sort of other ways. So um, some great stats from, from John Harrison, who is someone who we've been fortunate enough to have on the pod before. Um, and I'll link his account and, and, and um, the, the thread um, off, off the tweet for the pod so people can go and have a look. Um, and he's basically got a really good model that looks at um, corners that goalkeepers face and, you know, the XG that they prevent from, from catches or that they allow from um, not dealing with, with these corners, etc. Um, he's worked out that Sanchez this season has faced 24 claimable corners um, and he's attempted to claim half of those. So that's 12. Of those 12 attempts, he's caught seven. He's made three punches out of danger, one punch into danger and one ball that he's missed entirely, which was, of course, one against Leicester. Um, and he recorded that um, based off of those stats, uh, he's prevented around 2.1 xG um, from being created in terms of chances, and the Amartico I think was around about 0.4. Um, so you can look at that as still close to sort of close to two goals worth of chances that 
you know, have been been um, prevented, which is really, really important. I guess an even bigger part of that is the fact that, you know, opponents have overachieved their um, their XG against us in terms of set pieces and corners this season. Um, so the reality is that that could be sort of even more goals than what the underlying metrics suggest it could be. Um, we, I know, I know, I mentioned at the start at the start of the pod that um, you know he's been kicking longer and stuff, and um, someone like Matt Ryan has. But I think um, his distribution has been really, really strong. Um, he showed some sort of good tenacity to when he did, you know, I think it was a, it was a good high claim in the game against Southampton where he sort of plucked out the sky and, you know, sort of attacked the box early to look to, to launch counters. I know that that would obviously be very dependent on what his instructions are to do um, and what the sort of game plan is. Um, but he can be sort of a really valuable asset in building from the back. Of course, we have to deal with that Adam Webster at this point in time. Um, and yeah, he's a, he's a real quality keeper. And, you know, fingers crossed he, he comes back safe and sound from from Spain um, and, and the uh, the international fixtures, um, but definitely deserving um, of, of all the accolades that he's going to get right now. Um, have got a piece in the works as well, um, a, a nice report, hopefully coming out soon um, with, with the scouts of football boys, they can look at him. Um, and yeah, a, a real quality keeper and, and definitely a big shout out as well to um, all the behind the behind the scenes or not really behind the scenes, sorry, but the deeper stuff in terms of uh, the, the loan system and Brighton, you know, trusting the EFL to send players there. So obviously the time he spent at Rochdale, um, and Forest Green as well, that I know Sanchez himself has sort of attributed a lot of his success now to. Um, but yeah, he's he's really stepped up and it's been you know, a big part of a, a defensive improvement. And um, not sure if it's necessary for us to, you know, join in the, the people who are voicing their displeasure quite understandably about the fact that Southampton were awarded um, a free kick as well as having advantage played and then um, getting a shot off mm-hmm. in the game. But um, a really, really fantastic stop from him. Um, and I know he's, he's, a, he's a big keeper size-wise, but... Um, a really strong shot stopper, um, which is just really, really fundamental. That yeah, for a side that like Brighton, who have underachieved their XG, I was gonna say at times, but for the most part, um, you know, if you are going to underachieve, then you can still win games, you can still get points if you've got a keeper of, of Sanchez's caliber that's going to keep them out the other end. So, um, be, it'd be great to see him, hopefully, you know, develop even further and, and maybe even stake a claim for that Spain number one spot. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things that you really, really hope um, it all works out for him as it as it as it could do. Um, this is more anecdotal, really, than anything. But you get the impression that generally, Spain's players, the stature of their players, are not so not so big. And you think someone of of his size and his fantastic corner claiming, cross claiming ability could be really useful in mitigating um, one of the deficiencies of of Spain's, you know, usual profile. Um, you know, looking at their Spain's roster, they they do tend to favour sort of smaller, more technical players. Um, you know, it's the way that they want to play as a national team and it's been extremely effective over a number of years. Um, but, you know, there are going to be shortcomings to that. You can't have, you know, a perfectly built squad of, you know, six foot six giants at the back and beautiful magician, you know, sometimes it doesn't always work mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, you know, he will be a fantastic asset for them if that's something that they need to to call upon. Um, his, his shot stopping as well is, is, is as, as we saw in the Southampton game, uh, certainly not, um, certainly nothing uh, for, but mediocre. So it's really, really good uh, to see that him being called up, which is nice. Um, moving on to the goals of, of the last game and maybe a little mention uh, while we're on the subject of goalkeepers. Um, we chatted a little bit before before the podcast mm. about um, Lewis Dunk's uh, opener in the game. Really fantastic header from quite a far, quite a far distance. Um, Fraser Fulton not quite able to... Um, you know, get down and, and, you know, such a big frame, six foot seven, not quite able to get down and scoop it out. Um, we, I mean, Southampton set up similarly to way, to the way Brighton 
um, set up, you know, zone, a zonal system. Uh, Mark Hughes um, at halftime in, in the game, you know, he mentioned he's, you know, he wasn't a zonal man for a long time, but he's he's come around to it and he thinks it can work quite well. But in this case, it hasn't worked as well as Southampton would have wanted to. What they've tried to, to allow to happen is that they've protected a more, more dangerous zones closer to the goal. And where Dunk's headed the ball from is so far out. They've essentially mm. said, you know, with a blocker in Bertrand, if you can score from there under pressure against a, a huge goalkeeper, you know, good luck to you, mate. And and Dunk's header is absolutely fantastic. So no taking away from the finish whatsoever. But uh, any thoughts, Liam? Forster sort of diving backwards into the goal. He kind of ends up in the goal as, as it goes in. Um, it was sort of a similar one. Glenn Murray a few years ago in a home fixture. Um, great header for, from Murray into the top corner and, and forces almost trying to claw it out from behind the goal once again. Did you have any thoughts on on the goal? Maybe the goalkeeper could have done better? It's a tough one, as you say, um, in terms of from a defensive perspective that, yeah, fans probably won't want to hear it, but there's I'm a big believer in the idea that you can't stop everything happening on a football pitch and that it's all about a balance of probability. So are you prepared to concede a headed shot from 15 yards with, you know, bodies in the way? and the blocker, as you say, or are you prepared to go more man-for-man man, um, and potentially run the risk of um, conceding a high-quality chance? Um, and people can criticise zonal marking what they want, um, as we sort of tried to highlight in, in the piece that we called the Charlie, that, again, I'll, I'll link this um, off the pod so people can have a read of it, that, you know, Leeds are the most man-for-man man marking side of set pieces this season. They've conceded the most goals, so it's really not down to purely the system that you play, but more down to how you execute it. Um, and, you know, Brighton clearly did it very well. Um, and as we said in the piece as well, that, you know, outswinging corners are genuinely going to be quite good for people like Adam Webster and Lewis Dunk, who can run onto the ball, can hit powerful headers, again, between the posts, again, from the right-hand side, from a Paso Gross outswinger. Um, so, so quite nice for that, obviously, to that pattern to sort of re-emerge. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm by far and away not an expert um, on goalkeeping, so I would encourage if anyone does want to hear from a genuine expert, do go and um, watch and listen to some of Rob Green's stuff on Sky. I think it's a fascinating panel to listen to. Um, I guess, I guess the point before would be in terms of him ending up in the goal is clearly something's gone wrong with his sort of body weight and how he's balanced, his momentum. Um, I, I did notice sort of a funny way that he was setting. A lot of goalkeepers will bounce, be on their toes prior to the shot coming in just to you know help with them being a bit more exposed to him and getting more power in their dive, which makes perfect sense. You know, they have to. They get such little reaction time with the power of shots that you know that needs to occur. Um, and his left foot, I think it was his left foot, um, I, I might be wrong, that seems to land before his right. And maybe his body weight's a bit off and he's trying to correct for that. Um, he took he took a step as well, I think, as well before he dived, which you know struck me as a, as a bit weird. I guess if it's that if that's how you know he likes to save shots, and that's fine. Goalkeepers are very individual, um, and it'd be sort of you know quite remiss of us to try and suggest that they should have done something different. Um, but I'm surprised that a goalkeeper of his size wouldn't have gone for a no step dive there, and you know sort of just going to trust the goal. Um, I, I think it'd be unfair to suggest ultimately that this is purely down to his fault because it's not. One, it's a great shot in the corner or great header in the corner. Sorry. Um, and again, when we speak about you know set pieces, the importance of winning the first contact is absolutely massive because that's how you know you you get a shot off if you're the attacking team, but that's how you prevent it if you're the defending team. And likewise, you then saw six or seven minutes later when Joel Veltman didn't win the first contact against Bertrand, um, that that went on to then you know um, create a goalscoring opportunity and the equalising goal for Southampton. So. Uh, I think, yeah, if you ask Forster about it, I don't think he'd be overjoyed. Um, and it maybe looks worse for him that, you know, he's perhaps had an, an error in how he's attempted to dive for the ball. Um, but I still think if he'd, he'd got there, he'd have done well to keep it out. I think it's a really smart header from Dunk. It's low, it's in the corner, it's really good power. And it's all set up by the fact, you know, it's between the posts. It, it's a fair way out, but, you know, it's it's still close enough to 
be a good scoring opportunity. Um, and, you know, a, a real quality header of the ball has done. The most goals scored, I know that people have seen this stat, but I'm going to share it because it's a great one. The most goals scored since his debut in the Premier League of any um, central defender, which is 10. Um, he's joint top among England centre-backs for goals scored this season with four, joint top with John Stones. Gal Southgate, I know that you're listening. Pick up the phone and do the right thing. Um, and 15 of his 20 non-playoff goals have been headed goals for Brighton. Um, and, and a nice stat that I pulled out as well from who scored. Um, combining his tackles attempted and his aerial duels um, this season, he's been successful in over 71% of those. So combined, he's had close to 120 tackles and aerial duels that he's been involved in, and he's won 85 of those. So um, a real strong player at dueling, both in the sky and on the deck as well. Um, and hopefully... Um, he'll he'll see us through to a fifth season of Premier League football, and then who knows what sort of summer might have in store for him. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know Lewis has been a top top player for us for a, for a long time, and you just want want him to show what he what we know he can do on an international stage. Unfortunately for him, um, you know, no no problems admitting this. You know, I, I want to be as objective as possible about what's going on. Michael Keane's had a you know haven't always felt that he's been performing to to the level that you know, that Dunk has been, that this season been really, really good. John Stones' revival has made things really tricky for Dunk, which is frustrating, of course. You know, it's one of those typical things, you know, people have said maybe even Ben White. Um, I, ben, ben White's a really good player and he's, he, he will develop into a fantastic centre-half. Uh, his one-on-ones uh, is probably something that he excels in really, really well. Aerial duels is something that he maybe needs to improve on. His, his awareness from set-pieces, again, um, frankly, he's not, close to dunk in terms of overall quality right now um but it's just the the way things go in terms of national team setups sometimes you have to accept that they they want to want to look to the future but you know we've got a euros um to come where i think we've got a decent chance of doing something um and i i strongly believe that dunk is one of our of our best um center halves in the country so i, I would love to see him in in a squad um, moving on to the winner uh, for for Brighton for South, against Southampton, um, a really really nice, well worked uh, move, seven pass move. Um, I want I want to draw two two players um, out for praise. Uh, Veltman uh, playing on the left left side of a three, um, really really nice disguised pass, just as drawing drawing a press from Southampton really really well, uh, shaping to pass the ball across across the back line and then playing a nice incisive through ball into Lalana, uh, who, who takes the ball expertly on the turn, as you would expect. Um, and I, re- I really rated that um, that little moment of ingenuity from from Veltman. You know, it's, it's not just about where you're passing the ball and how, you know, how much power you put, etc. But, you know, a disguise on that pass is really, really useful. Uh, Tielemans, uh, the one that comes to mind mm. for, for Leicester, really maybe dunk, drew some criticism, ironically, for, um, for that goal. But it's a nice disguise. It's a no-look pass. It was really, really well disguised. Drew dunk out of defence and, and then played it in behind him. Uh, so those things are really useful. And then um, Neil Morpé also, a really, really well-intentioned uh, floating run um, out of, uh, sort of away from the back line. He kind of goes really wide and really deep. And, you know, it's probably not good defending, but Bednarek just kind of wanders out and follows him and just, you know, is preoccupied with stopping uh, Morpé receiving the ball, even in a deep area. And I think there's probably a moment... At a certain point, where where Bedarek should just leave him and go and point, yet shout at one of his midfield players to pick him up. But he follows him all the way, and there's a huge gaping hole for um for Trossard to run into. Takes the ball exceptionally well, and a, and a and a really nice finish. And that's one of the things that generally 
we struggle against teams that, that sit very deep and and have and have discipline. You know, that's not something I will I will be the first to say that it's easy to disparage teams that sit deep and I think generally Newcastle's the one that I like to point out and we we both have fun saying how rubbish they are and, and generally the, the, their creation numbers are actually the thing that annoys me most. But and but you know, defending is one of those things where there's no shame. It, you know, what, what Benderick's done there in terms of trying to push out is caused a goal. It's a fatal error. It's a really, really bad mistake. You know, it's called it's caused us them, them to lose the game. And, and ultimately there's no there's no nobility in in losing. It's it's a league where it's absolutely ruthless, and and even our players who, you know, will seemingly do anything to 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 not score, um, come completely <laughs> there and and put it in the top corner, and that's what the Premier League is. Uh, at risk of sounding like Graham Potter, there, it's the Premier League, the best league in the world, etc. etc. Um, but in any case, uh, the teams that we struggle against, you know, they're disciplined, they sit deep, they won't be drawn out by by wandering runs on the whole. Uh, so you have to ha- show a lot of ingenuity and a lot of quality to make things happen. Um, as we draw the pod to a close and we look forward to to the Newcastle game, which, you know, if the footballing gods have any sense, we we will spank them. Um, how how are we going to go about unlocking what are surely to be a very stubborn Newcastle side? They don't have St. Maxman and they don't have Callum Wilson, which is a big blow for them. But you might argue, given the precariousness of their situation, that they I don't know if they'll see it as a must win or a must not lose. It's it's a tricky one. How do, how do Brighton, in your view, go about um, securing uh, the best results? Um, I, I think number one needs to be a lot of patience um, in terms of how they sort of approach the game, and that you know we've shown that we we can score later on in games, and I, I know sort of plenty of our wins um, have come you know having scored early goals or at least early scoring the first goal. Um, but I think we've shown you know at Tamfield we could score. Later on, in terms of in the second half, again at Southampton, we we did it. Um, so patience in that you know this game doesn't have to be won by half time. That missing chance in the first half isn't necessarily a problem. Um, obviously, it's not good, but it's it's something that can be sort of overcome. Um, and as you say, the the need to sort of set up players that have got their individual brilliance. So, if that's the case, to try to find positions where, you know, even if we might not like the XG numbers, but both Eve Suma and Alexis McAllister can crack shots off from from range. So if you can find positions where you, know, you can set them up to shoot if that's you know genuinely trying to score from there if that's to facilitate set pieces that we might have to go for again if that's to you know force parries and try and score on the rebound it might be you know shaping to shoot to try and pull defenders out of position and maybe slot someone in behind or on more of sort of a, a fake move um but then they might look to attack from wide spaces as well you know we've seen ben white overlapping players in recent weeks we've seen joel Veltman combining on the right um so it'd be, be really interesting yeah, they might try similar sort of um as you mentioned charlie in terms of um I think it was sort of Dan Byrne and Walker Peters in the first half um, and, and try and play off that. But I think there'll be a range of tactics and they'll need to be to sort of keep things fresh, don't be too predictable. Um, and yeah, it will it will come down to ultimately some individual brilliance as most Premier League games do do tend to. Um, and exploiting, you know, transitions and counter-attack opportunities when Newcastle can't have a set defence will be absolutely paramount. It was one thing that picked up in the sort of Southampton preview um, was that, you know, Brighton's XG and goals scored is so much higher in games where if you take their average passes per penalty or entry, when it's below that average, it's so much higher. Um, and when it's above that average, you know, the, the XG and goal scored is so much lower. Um, and, you know, creating shooting opportunities, we said, where they are, can be clear sites at goal are, are absolutely fundamental. And they're the chances that we are statistically, and we probably do, don't have the numbers to hand, but we probably do score best from, um, as you give players that, that best opportunity to score. 
Um, and hopefully a clean sheet as well. I know we haven't had one for a while now. Um, but if we do keep a clean sheet, then obviously no one needs me to tell them that we're only going to need one goal to score. So that, that would do a lot of the work for us then. Um, and yeah, a, a combination of those factors could, could be really, really important. Um, and hopefully Potter uses what I've just told him and, and we win the game. Fingers crossed. That's all you need to do, Graham. I know you're listening. It's fine. Uh, you know, there's no shame. But uh, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where you you want, well, frankly, we want the result and, and ultimately you're going to have to, it's likely we're going to have to overperform our XG um, once, um, yeah, for once or other, I should say. Um, I, I worry for the game. I think it is the type of game, you know, we've seen enough now, we've seen more than enough to know that these are the kind of games that we, we do struggle in. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should go in with any fear. You know, we, the pressure's off a little bit in terms of getting a really important needed win against Southampton. The games that we've got to come on, on paper are tricky, but obviously conversely, we we tend to find them a little bit more agreeable. Um, but as, as you said, the quality level is is such that when, when you play against the best teams, you you can play well and you can have you can have good chances and you can still lose because the, the quality level is so, so high. They are normally extremely clinical. I hope that, I think the team will likely be similar. Uh, Burns' absence will be a massive, massive miss in terms of having an orthodox left back or someone who's used to playing that position as much as some might not be keen to admit it. I think he will be a big miss. Uh, he will be useful from, from set pieces. He would be useful from set pieces defending them as well. Um, I am interested to know where Potter will take it if we expect to have so much of the ball that he starts maybe Zakiri at left wing back and and, and well the, the tricky thing is that we don't have an orthodox left or right back if we're going to play three at the back with uh, with the injuries to Adam Webster that makes things kind of uh, mm. that makes things kind of difficult uh, so we, we are limited with options uh, as are they they have bad injuries um, hopefully we can take advantage of that they don't have the kind of ingenuity factor of St. Maximan and they don't have the ruthlessness of Callum Wilson. Um, but we've seen enough games to know that teams that don't really score a lot of goals uh, can somehow become unbelievably clinical in, uh, when they when they come to the Amex, which uh, we, we mm. hope doesn't happen. Uh, but on that note, um, we very much look forward to covering the game and being around for the live stream, which will be taking place next week. Uh, yeah, there will be more stuff on the Twitter page uh over the coming week uh we really do hope that you join uh they'll it'll be interactive people can uh can be it's on twitch it'll be on, you can uh, be involved in the chat yeah we're gonna have people coming on uh post-match potentially before the game as well um to, you know to give their thoughts to to talk about all things albion talk about the game uh there'll be some fantastic interviews bruno paul barber uh kira mcguire and, and many many more of course of course liam and myself will be there which is surely enough uh to draw hmm. in a massive audience um, Liam, any final thoughts uh, from you before we end? Uh, there are not really, just yeah, enjoy the win, um, boys and girls, and, and anything else you, you may choose to identify as. Um, and beyond that, yeah, hopefully we can look forward to adding adding some more points to the total. And I think next two for me would, would be enough. That would hit, uh, that would hit the thirty point threshold, and I think that pushes us margin over sort of a point per game. Um, obviously, it's more a case now of um, seeing what Newcastle and Fulham do. And I know that with uh, the fixtures that line up now with the with the TV um, TV schedules that we were playing after them, which um, 
obviously it doesn't always seem desirable, but we seem to have a weird, you know, in my head at least, we seem to have a weird ability to when, you know, results are, are necessary that we seem to pick them up um, and, and really sort of look to push forward now and, and build upon this result a bit more. Um, and yeah, just keep pushing that points total along and, and make it difficult for the teams below us. I know that Newcastle's last two games are, are Fulham and Sheffield United. So hopefully do what we can to sit back and relax as early as possible um, and, you know, hopefully enjoy what could well be a, a big sort of relegation scrap um, in, in the final game um, between Newcastle and Fulham. Um, and just sort of one, one final point, Charlie, that I'd love to bring up. Um, if, if people, if you didn't already need an excuse to keep watching Leo Trossard's winner back, um, for, for anyone that, you know, has any interest in, in forward play, um, just, just I know that you picked out Neil Mapai rightly so in that move, Charlie, um, sort of his positioning and that um, we talk about, you know, bad defensive decisions, but um, you can facilitate that a lot in terms of your attacking play and that, you know, you can put defenders in uncomfortable situations and make them make bad choices. Leandro Trossard's movement is absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, we, we've, we've spoken quite rightly about Joel Veltman's ability there to sort of punch that through through the lines, his technical excellence in, you know, looking like he's playing it back to Livestunk and actually, you know, sliding one through. Um, as soon as that ball goes into Adam Milano, Trossard actually moves to try and, I think, receive a pass to the feet. And as soon as he sees that that ball isn't going into him and it's going to Welbeck, he spins his hips and he's off and behind um, Jan Bednarek. Um, but then also does really well to slow himself down. One, so that he's on side and two, it gives him, you know, a chance to control control the ball, steady himself and um, all these elements go into making an important finish. Please don't just think that, you know, finishing is a result of the, the one kick of the ball. It, it's well more than that. Um, and a fantastic move. Um, as you said, Charlie, seven passes to, to score the winner. Hopefully we'll um, be, be coming back to you with, with a pod very soon that's talking about something very similar following the Newcastle game. But please do come and join us for the live stream. It's going to be great fun. You guys can be very much involved. Likewise, if you do have anything you want us to chat about, if you've got any burning questions for sort of Bruno or Barber, um, please do try and tweet them at us and we can try and see what we can do about um, getting them involved. Um, and yeah, look forward to, to seeing you guys soon. Yeah, um, big mention, of course, of the final day. You know, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. It's probably quite <laughs> good uh, when it gets replayed when we're already relegated before the last game. But um, you, you like to think that if, you know, especially with a positive result next week, we can go into that last game of the season assuming that any result will result in the other one going down if that makes mm-hmm. sense or you know you it would be a bit of a bizarre situation if it was the case that a draw was enough to to, to relegate us or I would know. feel sick oh yeah that's really not well, which is weird because I, I thought we were relegated last week Charlie after we lost to Leicester that's what most of the fan base had had me believing so um, I've well, never known a team to be relegated without entering the relegation zone and with sort of 11 games to go so record breakers relegation and then immediate re-promotion is a <laughs> phenomenon in, in football nowadays unfortunately um I think yeah I've just had that nightmare scenario just saying that you know kind of casually to I'm supposed to end the pod on a positive note <laughs> sort of um a game where all they all those two teams need is a draw and they're just sort of poking the ball around in like the center circle and oh, I'm no. just at the tv that it's fixed and that the ref uh, the FA should investigate um but yeah I I'll have to look that up. Maybe uh, as, not- a, as a positive child, I can I can save you here. That looking at five thirty eight model, um, they're they're a big sort of American data company that um, they look at the current chances of relegation for West Brom and Sheffield United is above ninety nine percent, Fulham forty one percent, Newcastle forty five. So interesting to see, obviously, that they think Fulham are more likely to stay up. We're on six percent and Burnley are on five percent. Um, so five percent. We're quite close yeah. to Burnley since I'm surprised we're, by that. We're, I, I agree. We're four points enough, yeah, with. Mm. Yeah, so it's, you know, they're, they're suggesting that the likelihood is that we should have enough. I mean, there's, um, I think we've got, is it 11 games to play now? And we're, we're on 29 points. So if you're looking at saying 
36 should probably be more than enough. That's 10 points off where Fulham are now and eight points from, from Newcastle. So um, we should have more than enough. And, you know, if, if we don't do enough to stay up, then it would definitely be through our own doing. But uh, I think, you know, yesterday, at the time of recording this, we say yesterday that Sunday showed um, we've got the quality and the finishing and the game management that um, could well hopefully sort of put a big push towards that 41 points record that we've got and, and, try, and uh, try and push that a bit further. That's a more positive way to end it. Liam, yeah, Liam knows what he's doing. Yeah, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week uh, at the live stream. And indeed, we will see you in the next episode. Yeah.